0: Yeah, Bills
1: Mafia. Don Brown. Yeah, it's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the Mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the Mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. Hey. Hey. Who you reppin'? What's your team? Who you ripping? what's your team? You know I'm for my team. I got that on my team. Hyde, Jordan Poya, can you catch it? Can you Trade
0: day is like a Folks, tonight. welcome into the Crowd Assist podcast presented by Trainwreck Sports. As always, wake here with my partner in crime, Kevin Masari, and a very special guest, Bruce exclusive, Bruce Nolan of the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Bruce, thank you so much for being here, man. How you? Uh, how are you going through the first day legal tampering? How, do you, what's you, how are you gauging the NFL landscape right now?
2: I feel very relaxed. I feel pretty cool, pretty calm, pretty collected. The interesting thing for me is that as I see money get thrown around hand over fist, I start to think to myself, okay, how many of these contracts would I like if <laughs> I was the team doling them out? And I look across the landscape. I think, okay, the Michael Davis contract with the Chargers. All right, Shelby Harris, Yannick Ngakwe. The Shaq Barrett contract is fine. The Jason Verrett contract is fine. Everything else, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: not a, not a bad time for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to keep their word of draft develop, and re-sign their own. Uh, it's a good it's good to see them stay true to their word. I feel pretty relaxed myself, not just because we didn't shell out any big deals today, but because I used the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. I know, amazing segue. I'm super good at those. Support for Proudest's podcast is brought to you Manscaped best men's below the waist grooming they offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels and they obsess over technology developments like the headlight on the lawnmower 3.0 provides you the best tools for your grooming experience trusted by over 2 million men worldwide so become one of them join the movement for all your below the waist grooming needs use promo code trainwreck manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping one contract didn't happen today but Definitely worth talking about from a Bills perspective is the Dak Prescott extension. It was $160 million over four years, over $120 million guaranteed. So kind of just want to talk about what this might mean for Josh Allen and this next crop of quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson. Maybe not Sam Darnold, but, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, everybody coming in, even Trevor Lawrence down the line. So, you know, Kevin, you know, how does does that Dak contract. Does that make you uncomfortable? Or does that just make it like I that's kind of what you expect the going rate for a quarterback of that talent?
1: Yeah, it's an uncomfortable number for Dak Prescott to me personally. But at the same time, um you got to look at it. I mean you got to look at it down the road. This cap's gonna shoot up in a hurry, in an absolute hurry. Um you could make the argument right now to sign him immediately because um those those numbers are going to skyrocket and skyrocket quickly. Um so it's uncomfortable this minute with the way the cap sits at that number that Dak Prescott got and kind of coming off the injury. um, You know, what has he really done for Dallas in terms of production? I mean, he's, he has gaudy numbers. Um, Mm -hmm. I know, and that's going to bounce it to Bruce because I know Bruce does not enjoy quarterback wins um, as a stat, but um, Bruce, what did you feel about that overall number that Dak Prescott got? Is it worth it for his production overall? And are you worried about Josh Allen? Bruce, you're muted. We might've lost you.
2: Sorry about that. No, no worries. I I am worried about the Josh Allen contract and I am worried about Dak's contract because I'm a Bills fan. So I'm used to being worried about everything. That's just kind of, (laughs) it's just kind of, you know, par for the course with me. The interesting thing I think about the Dak Prescott contract, when you look at it on its face, you think, okay, four years. 160 million, 40 million. It's very similar in framework to the Deshaun Watson contract, which was four years, 156 million. The difference is Dak gets a $66 million signing bonus. Deshaun Watson got a $27 million signing bonus. Guaranteed (laughs) at signing for Dak Prescott was $95 million. Guaranteed at signing for Deshaun Watson was $73.7 million. Total guarantees, 126 versus 110. So it's a stepped up version of the Deshaun Watson contract, and I think Deshaun Watson's a better player than Dak Prescott. Now, Mm -hmm. if you think about the the Josh Allen contract coming in the future, and you think to yourself, okay, what is the framework going to look like? At this point, if it looks like Deshaun Watson, it's a steal. That's, I think, where we're at now with Josh Allen. I think if you get a Deshaun Watson contract out of Josh Allen, I think that's a steal. Because last year... Dak Prescott's a, a good player. And last year, Josh Allen, based on a composite of the top ranking quarterback metrics, was probably a top three quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. If he has another one and you walk away with the Sean Watson money, I'm going to feel okay about that. If he has another one, you walk away with Dak Prescott money next year. I might feel okay with that too, quite frankly. But the issue comes stylistically. What type of contract? Because the Dak contract and the Patrick Mahomes contract are very, very, very different. While you look at the Dak contract as a stepped up version of Deshaun Watson's contract, the Patrick Mahomes contract is an entirely different animal. It was designed to cover long periods of time and be restructured a bajillion times over to push salary forward into signing bonuses and just kick and kick and kick and kick and kick for 10 years. And that's creating two sort of camps when it comes to quarterback contracts. Is there going to be a stepped-up version of the Mahomes contract? Or is Mahomes going to be its own unique animal for, like, the rest of eternity? Will never be another contract like Mahomes. Is it just going to be versions of the Watson contract? Watson, and then Dak gets a version of that, and then Allen gets a version of that, and so on and so forth, and Mahomes just completely stays out as an outlier? Or is it going to be divided into two camps when your quarterback signs an extension that's mega is it going to be a Mahomes style deal or a Prescott slash Watson style deal and I think that's going to be the fascinating thing when we start to get into the Josh Allen contract discussions which I'm sure is going to happen a lot after the draft the should we sign him this year what should it look like I think it's really going to be about those two things what Mm -hmm. style of extension and that's what the Prescott thing does for me what the Prescott contract means to me is that as a stepped-up version of the Watson contract, it draws that line in the sand and says, "Okay, we have two types now of mega quarterback extensions. Which one is it going to be?"
1: And that's and, more than and fair. And if if you really jump into it right now, look, I, I got to interrupt us to say that Carlos Hyde signed with the Jaguars, two years, six million. So anyone mm, that, that wanted Carlos Hyde, yeah. <laughs> strike him off the board. No, that's yeah. it.
2: I'm out. All right. All right. That's guys, your, why why what?
1: finish the episode?
2: Why even? What's, what's even bother at this point?
1: Carlos Hyde is off the board. He's he's a name that Bills fans at point have, have points have wanted. Um, but um he's getting, still getting two for six. Good for him. Um good for him. Yeah, I mean what what else can you say than Carlos Hyde still rapping in two for six deals? Um that's that's just a funny, funny nugget to to approach um as as we continue on this conversation of free agency, what Brandon Bean's done. Now, Bruce, are you a firm believer of how real the cap is? It's something I've studied and, and really looked at what New Orleans has done in the past, uh, Tampa Bay's doing this year. Is it something that you think there's always a way around it? I mean, look, I mean, you got to look at even Wentz and yet you, you look at golf and you're able to get out of these deals and get compensation for it if it doesn't work out. So are you a, a believer that, you know, you'd take your shot. If it doesn't work out, you can get
2: out of it. Yeah. I do think you take your shot and if it doesn't work, you can get out of it just as a general rule. I don't know necessarily know if that applies to Allen. I, I'm one of those uh, statistically significant sample sizes important to me. And yeah. so far Josh Allen has had what I would consider to be one year of extension worthy quarterback play. If you got 2019 Josh Allen every single year, I would not extend that guy. If you got 2018 Josh Allen every year, I would not extend that guy. If I got mm-hmm. 2020 Josh Allen, I'd give him the bag. <laughs> so <laughs> So mm-hmm. overall, I do think that the cap can be manipulated. Now, I th- I think the cap is real. And this, I think the same problem I have with the cap isn't real guys is the mm-hmm. same problem I have with the running backs don't matter guys. And ah. the reason that, the reason that is, is just, it's a poorly phrased argument. If you mm-hmm. want to say the cap is really flexible and really not as restrictive as we say, okay, cool. I- I'm good with that. Like I'm completely fine with that because it's true that the cap can and should be manipulated, but the effects of the salary cap are not just about getting out of bad contracts. It's about the opportunity cost of what you don't do because you recognize the restrictions that you have. For example, why on earth are the Chiefs not going to go through $23 million at Trent Williams right now? They don't have a left tackle. Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? It's the opportunity cost of the cap. It's the moves you don't make because Mm -hmm. of the cap, more so than getting out of contracts, because all contracts have devices built into them where you can get out of them for different things. You can move money around. And so for me, it's about understanding that the cap can be manipulated and quite frankly, should be. It should be. If you are not taking advantage and being opportunistic and taking advantage of moments that maybe this player wasn't necessarily thought to be available, but now they are. Someone like Stefan Diggs comes across your desk and goes, well, you know what? Six hours ago, I didn't think we were going to have Stefan Diggs. Now all of a sudden the trade's done. If those moments happen, you need to be able to manipulate the contract and you need to be able to manipulate the cap by fiddling with numbers and contracts. However, every manipulation has a cost and it's usually a cost in the future. So as long as the manipulations that you make in the present cause restrictions in the future that are less than or equal to the amount that the cap is going up, then you're fine. You just can't over-manipulate it in specific ways. We saw that with Doug Whaley. Right? We had contracts where you really couldn't get out of them unless you took fat, dead cap hits. right? And the Charles Clay contract was specifically built so bad that Miami <laughs> couldn't match it. And because yeah. it was so bad that Miami couldn't match it, we couldn't get out of it. So it was one of those, yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. See what you like about that. That was the Charles Clay contract. And, of course, the Marcel Darius contract was the same way. And so I think that the cap is real, but the cap is not as restrictive as people think it necessarily is because it's not necessarily all about one plus one equals two and you have a limit of 10. It's not that simple. It's never been that simple. So my problem with cap isn't real, people, isn't the fact that their principle is wrong. It's the fact that their language is wrong. The cap isn't real and running backs don't matter. Those are just overly, they're provocative statements intended to provoke you. They Even the people who say running backs don't matter know that's not true. Even the people who say the cap isn't real know that's not true. What they really mean is running backs are not as valuable as other positions on your roster and shouldn't be devoted impressive resources into. Not that there's no skill associated with playing the position and there's no point in having a position on your team at all. That's not what they mean. But the phrase is overly simplistic and designed to provoke you. And it upsets me and, quite frankly, does provoke me <laughs> <That's> <laughs> how poorly worded the argument is. And that's my problem. And that's my same problem with the cap isn't real, guys. It's not because... I think the cap is an incredibly restrictive thing. It just has to be considered. You don't just throw things randomly. And that's the same reason why the Kansas City Chiefs aren't currently throwing $23 million at Trent Williams. It's because even they know that you can't do it. So it's opportunity cost
1: of the cap. Fair enough to me. And I, running back, something I want to, I want to go down real quickly while we're on it. No, no re- reason to deviate from it too much. Is there a free agent running back right now on the market? As we saw Carl, so i get struck off, is there a free agent running back that you would really like to entertain? I know you're a big draft guy at 30, um, but is there a guy that you would think would come in compliment? I mean, there's was this weird Cream Hunt rumors, um, but is there something that you would? Look at this list and say, you know what, I want to take a risk on that guy. The Bills only have a roughly five million dollars after that Feliciano extension. Um, they did their best to keep their own, and you know it's going to cost them here playing in the next couple of days. But is there a running back on the list that you would really like to go after? Whether it's a Fournette or you know whatever, is there is there something you see fit? Uh, for the Buffalo Bills roster.
2: I don't feel super strongly about any of the free agent running backs. If you can get me James White on $2 million deal, I'll take it because I think he has a complimentary skill set as a pass catcher that we don't necessarily have manifested. But I don't feel super super strongly about it. I um, I was asked to write an article for Buffalo Rumblings about my thoughts on what the Bills should do at running back. I've been doing this series of, hey, what do I think the Bills should do at each individual position? And my my spoiler for the article was just George Costanza explaining to the NBC executives what his show was about. It was just him looking him in the eye and going, nothing, nothing. And so what do I think the Bills should do at running back this offseason? Nothing is the answer. Absolutely nothing. I'm team do nothing at running back. I'd be completely fine if they ran it back with Singletary, Moss, and Williams as RB3. I'm completely fine with that. I have no problems with this. Make sure you keep Jake Kumaro on the squad as a wide receiver six for special teams purposes because you're losing Tywad Jones at that point. But I'm cool with that. I'm completely fine with that. So I don't feel super strong about any of the free agent running backs. But if you forced me to pick one, i pick James White on a short one-year $2 million deal just so we have the pass-catching ability in the event that Moss and Singletary aren't able to get it done.
0: And so that's kind of a big, big topic of discussion for the Bills' offseason is, and especially since we're returning the entire same offensive line pretty much as we had last year, less Ty and Seki. You know, the run struggles from last year. You're you're okay rolling out the same running back tandem, which I understand completely. But then, are you slightly maybe uncomfortable with how we're approaching? not rebuilding the offensive line into a more successful run blocking unit
2: that's a fantastic question because a lot of times it comes down to three camps with running the Mm -hmm. game it's either were the running backs the problem were the was the line the problem or was the scheme the problem and it's one of those three groups and typically we all know this it's not one or the other or the other it's all three it's never just one it's overly simplistic thinking and we all know it. But if mm-hmm. you have to assign a like a plurality pie, right? If you're giving percentages <laughs> to each one of the three of them, then I am of the opinion that steam and offensive line were far more contributory toward the Bills' struggles. And so you hit the nail on the head. When the Bills re-signed Daryl Williams, I was like, yes, absolutely. When the Bills re-signed John Feliciano, I'm like, um, I mean, okay. Yeah. It, it was the same thing I felt about when they re-signed Quentin Spain. So when they re-signed Quentin Spain, I was like, eh, you know, all right. I, I kind of wanted to upgrade from John Feliciano at guard. Mm-hmm. And I understand that Cody Ford is very likely to be slotted in as the left guard, especially now yeah. with the re-signing of Darrell Williams. But we still don't know if Cody Ford's going to even be successful at this point. Now, the statistically significant sample size for Cody Ford is very, very small because we only got a chance to see him at his... My opinion, preferred position at left guard for a few games before he got hurt, and I think that left guard was his ideal position. Uh, coming mm-hmm. out, of course, there was all this discussion: is Ford a guard? Is Ford a tackle? I said from the VA Ford's a guard. I got totally yelled at, and then everybody, everybody just kind of came over to my side, <laughs> thought he was a guard now. But Cody Ford and John Feliciano, ostensibly, you think they're good run blockers. That's what, that's what it goes at. But Cody Ford wasn't overly effective last year, but he was still getting his, you know, still getting his feet underneath him at left guard. And John Feliciano was coming off a torn pectoral. So if I'm the bills, I'm thinking that's the reason why I'm thinking that there's an obvious reason why Feliciano was me fine. Whatever you want to use, whatever onomatopoeia you want to use to like (laughs) sigh or shrug, whatever it is, right? I think that there's probably a thinking at that point that there's a reason why they weren't able to get their peaks and they're hoping that a line consisting of Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Feliciano, and Williams could be better. Then you add to that the fact that the Bills ran a lot more zone running in 2020 than they did in 2019, which I actually think goes against the strengths of Cody Ford and John Feliciano, who I think are man gap power preferred kind of offensive lineman. So then you have Mitch Morse in the center who's kind of the odd duck out because Mitch Morse is not a drive-blocking center. So yeah. you have two guards on either side of a center who don't seem to fit. So what you need is you really need a lot of man runs that incorporate a pulling center. That's what you need. Yeah. And so you got lots of pin poles. You got things like that. Those are the things you have to start running a lot more of. So you have the offensive line part. You have the scheme part because quite frankly, the talent part, could be exactly the same.
1: That's, that's very true. Well, I have to throw it out there while you bring up the zone running game. One of the best zone runners I've ever seen covered, um, talked to personally, is Jarrett Patterson. Um, so mm. hey. we're, we're shown to be very interested in him. Shout out to Jarrett Patterson. I know you follow, sometimes watch the show, but um, he is very much so. And he's told me to my face, he's like, the, the scheme the Bills run is perfect for my skill set. I think that I could utilize what they do very well. Maybe that's why the Bills are interested in in him throughout the process so far. I don't know. Something to keep your eye on is day three, mm-hmm. day, uh, fourth round pick potentially. We'll see where he goes from there. Um, creeps its head into the scenario of assessing the run game. Are you cool with a late round, middle round flyer,
2: Bruce? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really have a problem with it. My okay. issue is that when you just dumped three, three, you know, three, uh, excuse me, third round picks back to back years in the running back position. Now I'm not a sunk cost fallacy guy. Now that's important because Thank you. if Thank the you. two people, <laughs> this is really important. And I think this needs to be discussed because you can't just say, we just spent a bunch of money on the running backs. That's not good enough mm-hmm. because that by itself is a sunk cost fallacy. What you have to say is we just sunk a bunch of capital into third round picks into running backs and they would be fine. If this thing would happen, because if it's just the first half of that argument, we just spent, two third round picks that by itself is not good enough. That's not a good enough argument to keep Singletary and Moss by itself, because that's a sunk cost fallacy. It has to have the second part of that, which is we just spent two third round picks on Singletary Moss and they would be fine if we did these other things
1: there. And that's a, it's a really good point because as we've been assessing here on the show, as we speak, is that offensive line is Cody Ford coming back and slotting into that left left guard spot. I like Ike Butker a lot. I'm interested to see what they do. I'm very shocked that they didn't see him as a $2.1 million tender. If someone went and gave him more money than that, you know, Godspeed. Um, were you shocked by so far, It'd still come down here in the next day or two, of the not 2.1 to Ike Butker and I guess
2: really any of the RFAs? I am. I actually thought that Bajorquez, Wallace, and Butker, I thought there was a chance that they might all three be back, yep. far more likely than Andre Smith would be back. <laughs> So the restricted free agent, they decided to tender or slash resign because Andre Roberts, Andre, uh, sorry, Andre Smith did not, did not, uh, you know, tender. He resigned for one and a half million. So I'm actually shocked that out of all the restricted free agents, he was the one I thought Levi Wallace was a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. I thought he was an absolute slam dunk. Sean McDermott openly said about Levi Wallace, that's what being a Buffalo Bills like, you know, walk on. Works hard, undrafted free agent, got to be where he was, was a multiple year starter. When you say that about a Blair, I'm shocked you don't at least tender him. So I'm floored. I'm not mad about it because I do want to upgrade the athletes at the corner position, but yeah, hundred percent, Kevin. I, I was, I was floored. I was really, really shocked.
1: And it's, it's a super good discussion because. They might like him at that grit number, but do they like him at 2.1? Apparently mm-hmm. not. They like that Andre Smith signed for $1.1 million on the cap this year. It's probably pretty obvious that that's roughly what they were thinking for roughly for Ike Butker and Levi Wallace and maybe even Corey Bajorcas. Um So it's, it's very interesting to see that. Yeah, I mean, he got it done, but at the same time, they took up, they lopped a million dollars off that RFA tender, signed him for two years and said, this is, this is what we're going to do. Was Ike Butker willing to do that? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would s- assume no at this stage. Um, and he thinks that you know there is there is money out there for me to at least sign a two for two for six. I mean, Carl's high just did, right? Is that is that kind of the reasoning why you wouldn't sign Ike But? Like to me, it, it's a no brainer. Two point one, the depth he brought, the, what he was able to do down the stretch, and be a competent guard. Um, and it helps hedge your bet with a Cody Ford who gets you know got hurt. To me, I'm not a Cody Ford fan. Uh, I, I don't like that he needed to play three positions. I don't like that whatever happened with Spain, not that Spain was great himself, that, that was all played into that. He spoke out and got mad at somebody and got cut. Um, you know, there was all those scenarios. He didn't play super well either himself. Um, but it just we, we've, we've been moving around Ford a lot. He was probably, you were right, he's probably more of that left guard, uh, never was really a right tackle. But there's gotta be some there's gotta be some accountability level here because I think he was Bean's worst pick. Do you do you, do you agree with that or do you have another pick that would take over for for out of Bean's great resume so far? To me, it's Cody Ford. I mean, you traded up for him and you know he 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 wasn't a very he hasn't been very good for the team.
2: No, I'd agree with that. I don't think that there's been a moment so far in Cody's for Cody Ford's tenure with the Buffalo Bills where he's flashed elite-level starter traits. Not a single one. He's had moments of aptitude, but not moments of greatness, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And when you look at players who haven't lived up to their billing quite yet, even players like Ed Oliver flash greatness and also have a completely reasonable explanation for why they haven't. So Ed Oliver playing one tech way more than he should is a perfectly reasonable explanation to why he's not able to penetrate the way you would like him to penetrate because he doesn't have anybody commanding double teams on the other side of him. With Cody Ford, he played an entire year at right tackle. Now, I just said he was a guard, so that could be a perfectly reasonable reason. But <laughs> yeah. I think when they looked at Cody Ford initially, they I may have thought a little bit about Williams, the guy they just re-signed. I, I think it's really interesting when you read the scouting reports for Cody Ford, they look a lot a lot like the scouting reports for Daryl Williams. So I think that there's a reason why they potentially thought Cody Ford was a right tackle because they had seen someone with those traits be an all-pro right tackle in Carolina before. So I get it, but Daryl Williams was an outlier. Him becoming an all-pro right tackle with those traits is an outlier. A lot of people thought Daryl Williams was a guard when he came out and that seems to be a bills thing was Cordy Glenn, Daryl Williams, (laughs) Cody Ford bills thing, taking people who everyone else thinks is a guard and trying him a tackle. But with Cody Ford, I don't know if you can have another answer to that question, Kevin. I think it's gotta be Cody Ford because they traded up for him in the second round. They were thrilled when they got him. They played him out of position. Then he got hurt. He's only ever played a couple games at his preferred position. And when he was there, he didn't look great. So, (laughs) I'll level with you. I, I don't think there's another answer aside from Cody Ford as far as draft picks that Brandon Bean has made, all things considered, that really have disappointed more so far. Now, we got a whole fist pump out of that pick, right? When they pick Greg
1: Little right in front of right in front of the slot mm-hmm. and he got we got a whole Brandon yeah. Bean fist pump on that
2: selection. Is am I mistaken? It was meme worthy. It yeah. was meme worthy. They he got a meme worthy out oh. of it. I mean, mm-hmm. big- no, that's
0: a gift. You could you Search Brandon Bean on Twitter and that gift comes up like hundred and ten percent.
1: I mean it was a full pump. So like, like, they messed up, we didn't. I mean, Greg Littlehouse has been great. Um, you know, don't 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 get yeah. twisted. <laughs> but at the same time, it was a full fist pump to them making the wrong pick, you getting the chance at the right pick, and you not missing out more importantly, on Cody Ford. So it's interesting to see how that develops. It is gonna be year three for him. It is the year. I mean, I need to see the development at left guard there for him. Um, he's gonna get the full slot, he's not gonna have to fight with Quentin Spain and have him get caught and argue with the coaching staff mid-season. Apparently some variation of any of that happened. Um, So that's something to watch out for.
0: Sorry, Kevin, what you said that, like, you know, he's not going to be fighting with Quentin Spain. uh, You're right. But I do find it difficult to believe at this time that like, they're just going to hand him the job because like, that's not very, that's not McDermott's MO. Like, you know, the first day of training camp, the first thing he always says is everyone's coming in here, come a spot and even though you know we got a fist bump out of Brandon Bean when we drafted Cody Ford you know I, I would be seeing as he's slotted in as a starting guard right now that makes me think that they're really eyeing some offensive line talent maybe day one definitely day two at the latest in the draft it is a good offensive line group here uh Bruce do you expect them to add day two or day one do you have a preference uh based on the prospects that are out there
2: I love Creed Humphrey. I love I knew, I was him. I was uh, you know'm I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to do it and I'll tell you what now that I think about right. it, the reason why Cody Ford might not be handed the job and still has to actually come in and you know work for it might be the same reason that Kevin was wondering why they didn't resign and tender Ike Bodker and that's Ryan Bates. Ryan Bates mm. is the five-finger offensive lineman in the same sense that Ike Butker was. The You can play all five positions, but he's a seventh-round pick salary now. So they might look at Ryan Bates and go, he's the next Ike Butker. We'll let Ike Butker walk and not pay him $2.5 million or $2.1 million or whatever we he wants to uh, re-sign us with us for. And instead, we'll just have Ryan Bates as that Swiss Army knife interior alignment now I actually like Ryan Bates a little bit more at tackle I like his movement ability I understand he has some length issues and that was an issue coming out of Penn State and one of the reasons why less than ideal physical traits dropped into the seventh round as a Philadelphia Eagles draft pick but I do think that Ryan Bates has the foot quickness to be able to do some of the things that probably Cody Ford doesn't so you might see Ryan Bates take the Ike Butker role as that swing interior slash exterior offensive lineman where they just kinda plung him in at whatever spot happens, or Bates could end up being your swing tackle this year. First man off the bench if Darrell Williams or Deion Dawkins goes down. So they might look at they might look at Ryan Bates as the next Ike Butker. So that could be the answer to both our questions.
1: Yeah. And the one thing I will say though, I have to comment on the not handing a job thing. If there is been has been a player. It has been Ford who has gotten opportunities. He hasn't had to go to the bench when healthy, not very often. He got that opportunity to do the the entire swap with Ty and Secchi all season. He had the opportunity to play different positions on a winning program, on a winning team throughout the year. and led. I mean, I'm not going to – he led to the cut of Quentin Spain, and, and we know Quentin Spain wasn't playing phenomenal football at the time. But, I mean, basically the reason for Spain is like, this is my position. You signed me to, to play it, and all of a sudden you moved a guy for his third – Third position here, so there's to me if they 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 haven't really handed the 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 spot to many people and under their tenure. But if there has been a player that has gotten some extra help, some extra um, ability, it has been. I mean, it, I mean, you look at someone like Singletary, who absolutely if he messed up was taken off the field and not played, you know, again. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, but that I don't I don't feel um, and even Knox to an extent at points, but I don't feel that Ford had that same exact motto. Do you agree, Bruce, or do you think there's more to that? Like He had the chance to, to rotate
2: live on a winning team. Tremaine Edmonds walked off the bus as the first string middle linebacker. Right. I, I understand middle linebacker is a little bit of a uh, oversimplification because in a nickel defense, there are no middle linebackers. I, I, I get it. I get it. But just go with me on this. <laughs> Don't tell Eric Turner. No. Yeah. Tradavius <laughs> White walked off the bus as CB1. So this is one of those fun coach speak things. That's just blatant hypocrisy, right? The idea that you have to, you always have to earn your job and everyone, Matt Milano rotated with Ramon Humber, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Milano rotated with, does nobody remember this? The guy we just resigned and I'm all excited about because he's an impact linebacker had to rotate with Ramon Humber and Tredavious White walked off the bus as CB one. The fact of the matter is different rules applies to different players all the time. That's just the truth. Yeah. They applied it and Cody Ford might be one of those players, but coaches do this thing where they say this thing out loud and we all look at him and go, what? Like, do you, you know, we're not dumb, Where's right? You
0: Kruger. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
2: I'm <laughs> so, Bruce, you coming on at seven got me to
0: not watch the Sabres and they just, they just got behind by a goal. So one, one, thank you to sorry You're for interrupting. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, you are you are quite welcome. I'm here for you guys. Like whatever you need, you know. Um, you know, it's just it's distractions, keys dangling in front of your face, anything to distract you from the sabers, I will do. Anything, anything but, shiny. It's okay. But the fact of matters, coaches do this all the time, right? Yeah. You know, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were talking about Eric Washington and how, hey, you know, it was the first year of Eric Washington's tenure and, you know, the defensive line was kind of getting the feel for the system. I'm sitting here going like Vernon Butler and Mario Addison just played with him. (laughs) Like they just played for Eric. (laughs) That that, that doesn't fly with me. I'm sorry. Like how long
1: they they needed to adjust and everything (laughs) we heard. Oh, they were not gelling.
2: They got $30 million each. (laughs) They're not gelling with the coach who they just came with. Like, the coach right. followed them from Carolina. So that doesn't that doesn't mean – I'm sorry. It doesn't mean anything to me. So sometimes <laughs> the, they say things out loud, and you look at them and go, how, how dumb do you think we are at this point? <laughs> all coaches do this. This is not a dig at Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean. Every coach in the history of mankind has said something at one point in a press conference where you go, wait, what? because we all do that. I do that all the time. I'm probably doing it right now, live with you guys. I'm going to say something. And I'm going to listen to myself back on YouTube or as a podcast later on this week. And I'll go, the heck was Bruce thinking? It just, it happens sometimes. And sometimes it shows up in hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's my life. Whenever I'm on air with Toronto or somewhere, I'm, i always listen back to myself. I'm like, what did I just say? Luckily, uh, hopefully they don't audit me. Um, but if you, if you, it, well, that's a good point you talk about D line because Denico Autry's off the board three years, twenty one million dollars um, to the Titans, and according to Ryan Talbot, that's a player the Bills had interest in. So there's a there's there's a num, there's a nugget there for everybody. Interior D uh, D line is that a position they're still going to try to upgrade? Um, and that's a good nugget for for Quentin Jefferson. How is he the odd man out at, 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 after all that? Where they just like he didn't match mm-hmm. in the locker room. What what was it? I mean, it has to be something like that. They're like he he you know we didn't like the way he played. Um, When we moved him around and he just didn't have that versatility we were looking for and maybe didn't mesh with certain players because we were talking about that. They kept everybody else. I mean, obviously, besides John Mm -hmm. Brown, um, but they kept everyone else. Is there something to Quentin Jefferson, maybe no culture fit, maybe position versatility? And now apparently the Bills could be looking at players like Danico Autry, who
2: now just signed. But kind of how do you how do you wrap your head around all that? It seems to me that there's a reasonable possibility that multiple players on the defensive line were approached with the idea to take a pay cut that would be able to be earned back via not likely to be earned incentives that wouldn't count on this year's cap. And And the two two that said okay were Addison and Butler and the one that said no got cut. I think that that's a very reasonable possibility. It's complete speculation on my part because I don't have sources to confirm any of that. But it's total speculation, but it seems reasonable. When you have the discussion about, okay, here's what they're doing to open up cap room and you see kind of what their method was. Because if you'll notice, there hasn't been a single simple restructure done by being this off season so far, a simple restructure, a salary to signing bonus, which is what everybody does to kick the yep. hand down the road. Not a single one. And it's not because they don't have contracts to do it. They could do it with Dawkins. They could do it with Poyer. They could do it with Travis White. They have contracts where that's open to them and they chose not to. Instead, their preferred method, and what you'll notice is across the NFL, every GM has their own little style when it comes to freeing up cap space. For some people, and a lot of them, it's just simple restructures, right? For the Saints, it's voidable years on all new deals, right? Restructure ad voidable years, ad voidable, voidable years, right? So they're still paying for people who they cut four years ago now, and that's just their strategy. That's Mickey Loomis's strategy, and for Brandon Bean, he hasn't really been under a cap crunch yet. This is his first offseason ever where space was an issue. Yeah. And I don't mean space was an issue from a opportunity cost like it is last year where okay, we can't do everything in one offseason. But I mean space is up against it. Now we're starting to see what his preferred method is of opening up cap space. And it is can you take a pay cut via not likely to be earned incentives and kick that money next year if you earn it. And there was one person who got cut and two people who said, yes, mind you, both the two people who said yes, had previous experiences with Brandon <clears throat> Bean and or Sean McDermott in Carolina. I don't think there's nothing to that by any means, but it seems reasonable to me that that was what happened. Now, again, complete speculation, but it, it can't be he played really badly because he played better than Butler. Yeah. It can't be he played really badly and we expect that to continue because he was forced to play one tech a lot, just like Ed Oliver. The same excuses that we apply to Ed Oliver apply to Quentin Jefferson. So the only difference is Ed Oliver wasn't a wasn't making $8 million a year. So to me, it seems reasonable to speculate that potentially a, a pay cut was offered and he was like, nah. And then when they started to think about D'Amico Autry, they thought, hey, can I get Quentin Jefferson, that inside outside can kick inside the three-tech, can play base-end as well. Can I get that same style of player cheaper? And then if you'll notice, he just signs with the Titans at $7 million a year, which is only a hair cheaper than Quentin Jefferson was, which would explain why the Bills might not have signed D'Amico Autry why well, they were out on it, probably around yep. five or whatever number mm-hmm. that may have been.
1: Absolutely. Yep. um, It's a really good point, but it is, a, it is a point that if they don't find that guy, um, and I think they thought they had it in Jefferson and maybe they realized they didn't. Um, and maybe that's for whatever reason, they didn't think it translated. Something happened there. Um, and it's, it's good points. So what do they do now? What do they do from here? Do they go and add another one tech? Do they go and wait for the draft? I mean, those are all awesome questions because it might be one of, you know, we'll call few, few ish. Positions that may be open. And that's if you're not considering defensive end open. I mean, so it's yeah. like, are, are they thinking one tech is going to open up for Addison and Hughes and potentially Epinesa? Or, I mean, what? I mean, it's a great question to kind of cap off D line, Bruce. Are you thinking that one tech, that guy to take some of that pressure away, to take some of those blocks on for your linebackers, is that more important right now than adding another asset to the defensive end position? They've added assets, assets, re signing Hughes as an asset. You're wasting your money or using your money, excuse me.
2: You're using money on
1: Addison Um, asset. You know, you're, you're continuing. You put a second round pick into Epinesa asset. So what, what is is your opinion to keep adding another asset to the defensive end position? Or is it finally, let's get another one tech.
2: I think it depends on how you feel about Vernon Butler moving forward. If you think that Butler is one tech, then I think you add an end. If you think he's a backup three tech at this point, then I think you add a one tech because he played both and he played a lot more one tech this year. And you also have to add the fact that Harrison Phillips is a very replaceable one tech at this point. And I love Harrison Phillips, but Mm -hmm. Harrison Phillips is a very replaceable one tech. And so is Harrison Phillips at the spot now where he's enough years into his career where we don't consider his roster spot entirely safe? Because if you don't, then you might want to add a one tech, even if you think Vernon Butler can play both. So for me, I'd love to see Larry Ogunjobi. Here, I love the way he flashed in Cleveland. And if he's not going to get a fat contract, if you can get Larry Ogunjobi for three to four and a half million dollars a year on a one-year deal to try and flash in a rotational system, I would love it. I would consider that to be Quentin Jefferson money well spent, quite frankly, yeah. to be able to back up that defensive interior line. And then if you want to go ahead and add, uh, you know, uh, you know somebody like gosh. Jesus is is going to be gone. Like mm-hmm. the, the pass rusher from Georgia, he won't be there at 30, but you know, Gregory Russo could be there at 30. If you want to take a shot on tools, I understand that late in the first round is not the place you typically find impact day one pass rushers. I get it. Like I understand those people go top five for a reason, but if you wanted someone toolsy, I mean, Jason Oway is incredibly tools, toolsy. Now he didn't have a sack last year, but That's if right. you just, <laughs> if you just want toolsy, then sure. But that's not going to be day one impact. That's not going to be a twenty twenty one pick. That's not a pick to help you run for a Super Bowl next year. That's a pick to try and solidify your youth of the position next to AJ Epinesa for when Hughes and Addison are gone. Okay. Those are good points. And did the mm-hmm. first domino trickle, though, with Danico Autry potential
1: interest there, and like you mentioned, the $7 million just getting back into Quentin Jefferson range and just not being valuable to them, we'll see. We'll see if that first or if he was the right player and or was the right player. So we'll have to see if the, the card was tipped just a little bit with maybe one tech is the way you know, they do, you know, you know, view Butler as a backup three tack a little bit more. So we'll see, we'll have to see exactly, but I do think there's a little bit of, of potential there that one tack might be the position they're looking at and shock us and add with Starla to back to this defensive line. So watch out for that one tack position, as we've kind of discussed here on the show. And it is kind of official now, um, Levi Wallace will not get a tender. So live on the show per Jeremy or field, Yates eights and Jeremy, um, Fowler, um, so they will not be tendering, um, Levi Wallace as we kind of figured as we started the show, but that's just something to remember. Um, but they're not ruling out per source, which means Brandon Bean mm-hmm. said back to Andre Smith, back to that one, you gonna, you want to sign in for 1.4 and potentially play a lot, you know, come back, but 2.1, mm-hmm. just out of our range. Doesn't that seem a little bit like 800,000 is that important
2: to the team, Bruce? The thing that's interesting to me about Brandon Bean is I think that we interpreted, and by we, I mean myself, I interpreted Brandon Beans, he's earned the right to see what his market bears. We interpreted that wrong, I think. When it came to Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips, and then we did it again to Matt Milano, we thought, well, gosh, that's what he said about Lawson and Phillips, and they both left. Therefore, Milano's going to leave too. And I think that that statement might not mean what we think it means. I think what it might mean is, hey, we have a number for this guy. We've given him the number. They don't think that number's the right number. So I think they're going to walk and they're going to see what it is. And then when that report jives with John Wara of the Associated Press saying Matt Milano is going to test free agency, and then he ends up not testing free agency and signing (laughs) it. And I think that's probably related to the fact that the agent thought, you know what? You have four years, 44 million on the table. We think we can do better. And then Levante David signs for 12 and a half and the agent starts sniffing around and goes, I don't think we can do better. Hey, remember that offer you made? I changed my mind, we're in. That seems like that the interpretation, the Brandon Bean translator for he's earned the right to see what his market bears doesn't mean he's gone. What it means is I've given my best and final offer to this guy. And at the time we're talking, they said no. So they said they're going to shop. So we're going to take their word for it that they're going to shop. And within the the Milano's case, that jives my explanation for what I think that might mean jives with the reports that the bills were kind of pleasantly surprised that Milano decided to sign. That makes sense. If they gave him their best in final and said, Hey, here it is four mil sorry, four years, 44 mil. And then Milano's representation was like, nah, I think we can do better. And then all of a sudden they come back a couple of days before free agency and say, you know what? No, is that offer still good? Yeah. Okay. We're going to take it. That jives with that idea, and for Levi Wallace, the, coming all by, well, all the way back to the question is, it seems like they have a number. They have a specific number. This is the number, and that makes sense when you look at the contracts they've signed. How many of the contracts that Brandon Bean has signed for re-signing his own players? Okay, let's just not, let's not talk about unrestricted free agency. Re-signing his own players. How many of them do we think are overpayments? None. Any of no, none of them. I haven't looked at a single one of Brandon Bean's re-signings. So White, Poyer, Hyde, Dawkins, Milano, Feliciano, Spain. Have you looked at any of those and gone, wow, that's ridiculously overpayment. Well, we should not have paid him that. No, I don't. I mean, now some of them are. Eh, the Spain was. Eh, the guards, right? Yeah, the guards. Yeah, and the, in Spain and Feliciano is actually very similar contracts. Feliciano is mm-hmm. just a little bit of a stepped up version of of Quentin Spain's contract. Both of them go, eh, but none of them are crazy contracts. None of them are contracts where you go, wait, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, what now? And that <laughs> kind of lends itself to the idea that he's got a number, and even if it's eight hundred thousand, like you said, it's still his number. That's the number. Otherwise, he just would have tendered them. Yeah, that's
0: true. Yeah, you talk about you know, oh my god, numbers. That's a good segue. Unless Kevin, is there anything else you wanted to add on? No, it's good.
1: Go- no, it's okay. a good point. But all I can say is, obviously, they don't want him on the cap for two point one million dollars this year. They want a two or three year deal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, the oh my god contracts like Matthew Udon, like Corey Davis, which just came in signing a three year, thirty seven million dollar deal with the Jets. Uh, So he'll be someone that the Bills get to see a little more often than if he stayed in Tennessee. Uh, But, you know, we had a a question from a listener earlier. Uh, Bills fan living in New England, Pats fans feel that they're back on top with all their signings. So kind of relating this to Matt Milano and then just what the Patriots did today as a whole, let's say Matt Milano didn't wait, or he did wait a couple more days, sees this Matthew Judon four years, $56 million deal. Does he still re-sign with the Bills, do you think?
2: Maybe, because they're very different players. That's that's exactly yeah. Ostensibly, they're both linebackers, but mm-hmm. Matthew Judon runs to space toward the quarterback and was a schemed pressure kind of proponent in the Baltimore Ravens. I think he's a, a lesser player than Yannick Ngakwe. I actually like Yannick Ngakwe better. I think he's able to more create on his own. But... When you look at, I actually think Judon's a good fit in the Patriots system. I'm not happy that he signed with there because the Patriots have a good, good sense of being able to scheme up pressure systems in a similar way than the Ravens. Of course, the Ravens' famous defensive coordinator for all those years was Dean Pease, of course, who came from New England. So there's some there's some similar principles there from the defensive side of the ball. So for me, I think that Milano is clearly a different position than Judon. Judon's mm-hmm. a pass rusher, so his market is going to be edge Milano is an off-ball linebacker, so his market's going to be the one that was blown to smithereens by the Jets deciding yeah. that they were going to sign Baltimore Ravens middle linebacker to an $18 million average annual value contract, which is still ridiculous, and they've gotten, like, one game out of him. Holy mm-hmm. crap, that was that was one of the worst contracts of the last five years. It was absolutely it was terrible. The yeah. CJ the Mosley contract, yeah. contract was horrible.
0: Yeah. Like, looking back, I remember in the moment thinking wow, that was a terrible deal. And it's the few times I didn't have to go look at the flow chart signs with your team. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I it too much money. Credit Jeremy white for always tweeting that out. But like, it's nice to see sometimes it doesn't totally work out in your hey, favor. The three
1: quarters. He ever played was against the bills at week one last year where he was just like really <laughs> good. And that was, that was it. So
2: if you ask the Jets fans, the only reason why we won that game is because CJ Mosley got hurt. And that was just they the, still say that. the entire scene. Yeah, yeah, they they'll still tell you that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Um it, it's there's there's a lot going on in free agency Bruce and you know we want right. to get your opinion on this before we we head out and and what what is a free agent so you want to stay pat at running back. Um that's been pretty obvious. Wide receiver 2 is that market okay to you or are where where are you looking right now? Are you a Gabriel Davis guy, bolt through and through or a draft guy at uh, the receiver position? What are you looking forward to at the wide receiver 2 spot? Are you are you going to stay pat there as well? And if not, where are you looking if they make one key signing? where would that be?
2: If I could get a complimentary vet for a wide receiver to money that wasn't Nelson Aguilar money, I would be okay. (laughs) Like, if I can get Will Fuller on a cheap deal because he's always hurt, I'm okay. If I can get Brashad Perriman on a cheap deal because he's always hurt, I'm okay with that too. One of the things I love about free agency it gives you an opportunity to buy low on players. And I'm all about buying low. I think buying low is a great idea when it comes to free agency. So, with a Daryl Williams contract, one year, 2.25 million. I was all about that deal because, yeah, he's been banged up and hasn't played his best. But you know what? Why not? We know he's got the potential to play all pro, all pro level. Jordan Poyer was the same way, buying low after a devastating injury. And so with wide receiver two, I'd love to hedge my bet against Gabriel Davis not taking the next step with a veteran player like Brashad Perryman, like Will Fuller, someone who has verticality. And I'm not a throw Gabriel Davis into wide receiver two guy. Like just toss him in there, see how it goes. He and John Brown are very, very different players. And John Brown is a full three-level weapon. One of the reasons he came to Buffalo was because he had been typecasted as just the fast guy all over his career. And he's like, no, I'm a complete receiver. And he came here and he proved he was a complete receiver. He could separate in the short area. He can play intermediate. He can run crossers. He can run deep overs and he can win vertically. And so I don't think Gabriel Davis is quite there yet. So I don't want to assume improvement. We have a tendency to do that. We just assume everyone's going to take the next step. And sometimes they do, but a lot of times they don't. Everybody has a plateau. Everyone has a ceiling as a player. And you don't know whether that ceiling is going to hit year one or year three, but I don't want to assume you haven't hit it. I want, I'd want. much rather err on the side of conservatism and assume that what we saw from you is going to be what we're going to see from you, especially at a position that is so important as wide receiver two in the Bills offense that is wide receiver centric and throws the ball all over the yard. So for me, I would like to see a vet wide receiver two so I don't have to go into the draft going, gosh, sure, I hope Kadarius Tony's there. You know, gosh, I sure hope we can get Rondale Moore. Like, I don't want to do that. If that happens, so be it, but I don't want to need that. So for me, when it comes to free agency, like I already talked about Larry Ogunjobi, I'd love to see him. You know what I'm going to say. I want a corner. I want William Jackson. That's what I want. Now, I think he's going to get double digit AAV right now, and I'm not thrilled about that, but I would very, very, very much like to know. Oh, we got breaking news. Bill signed Tyler Madakiewicz to a one-year extension, so they probably lowered his cap hit by signing him to a one-year extension. So Mm -hmm. that's breaking news right here. That's what we do here at Trainwreck Sports, man. We break news right here, right live. (laughs) This train never stops, just like the news, right? so oh, here,
0: Bruce good plug
2: love you that's how that's how I roll baby listen I, I, I'm in your house man you're not in my house yeah, I'm in your house my job's to make the place look as as good as humanly possible i'll I'll, I'll <laughs> clean up I'll clean up for you I'll do the dishes when we're done eating you know this is your house I'm just I'm a guest in your house so we're gonna have to be... get to
1: the dishes thing in a second here with the with what with yeah. the dish you had made um, we'll get yeah. to that in just one moment
0: yeah. in, waddle chief Chief Shelby waddle wants to know a little bit about that so we'll get into that <laughs> after we finish up here we'll have <laughs> to
1: know. We'll have to know that in just a moment, but it's a great point with the extension. I said this a couple of days ago. The Bills make moves with authority, right? They don't make moves to make moves. I I had an argument with somebody that was like, they just make moves to make moves. I'm like, what? Why would anyone, even a good GM, make moves to make moves? They make moves with authority. Does that mean a signing's coming, Bruce?
2: I tend to think so. It seems like they open space for a reason. Right. Like we open space, open space, Milano signing. Right. Exactly. And so it seems like they open space for a reason because they don't want to pull a card unless they have to. However, I don't really know how much this saves them yet. If this is just one of those, hey, there is no scenario where we want three plus million dollars for you this year. Like that's, there's no scenario where we're okay with that. We don't need to open the space for something. We just know that's bad value. Some bad value is just intrinsic. Like, we don't really need the space for something in particular. We just know that's bad. I'm not going to know until I see the numbers on it, but it seems reasonable. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, you know, when you look at the Matakavich deal. So for me, it could mean something's on the horizon, but let's be honest. It's one of those scenarios where when you look at what Tyler Madikavich brings to the team, and that is he's a special teams gunner, and he's a good one. He's a good special teams player. Kickoff coverage, you know, punt coverage. He does that well. Three plus million dollars? For that for a player where if he plays on defense something has happened horribly wrong like Armageddon has hidden has hit it happened Tyler Maticavich is playing on defense so is do you really want three plus million for that so I don't think that this particular move when you look at this one move you think yeah yeah something's Mm -hmm. something's happening something's brewing because it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb whether something's brewing or not
0: yeah yeah, I mean, back, back, I remember last week, I got in, a, maybe two weeks ago, I got in a little Twitter spat with some buddies from high school. And when I said I, I, just because of his cap hit, I saw him as a potential cut candidate, knowing very well that Brandon Bean wouldn't cut someone who's so vital to the special teams as Tyler Matakovich was. But the fact that him and AJ Klein were making more than Tremaine Edmonds.
1: <laughs> like that's I'm just sorry, crazy. Klein's still a bad deal. I'm sorry. Oh, Klein's a, still
0: an awful deal. 6.4
1: million right now, and you you got four on the dad. There's nothing you can do except add years, and we don't yeah. want add, to add years to A.J. Klein. So no. we're sitting at, at 6.4 after you just re-signed Milano. He played two good games of the season. Are you disappointed at that number? What can we do with A.J.
2: Klein, Bruce? Literally nothing. You can't do anything (laughs) with AJ Klein. AJ Klein's contract is a two-year and let's see deal instead of Addison and Quentin Jefferson and Vernon Butler, which was all one year and let's see deals. And I have a feeling that was a hedge against Matt Milano not coming back. And that's he the was. reason why it was two years in let's see. But I didn't like the deal when it happened because I'm not an AJ Klein guy. I was like, uh, remember he was the first signing for 2020. Yeah. That's and so right. it was like, it was. oh
1: yay. An <laughs> overpriced linebacker from Carolina.
2: I'm so excited. A linebacker <laughs> who can't <laughs> run in space. But it was, you know, AJ Klein had his flashes in 2020 when they asked him to run in straight lines toward the quarterback. Which, when you ask someone to do that and run lanes toward a quarterback, then I sure hope he looks good. So there mm-hmm. were a couple games. I think the Seattle game stuck out as a game where AJ Klein legitimately played linebacker at a high level. Like he legitimately played well at that game. And then the rest of the year was eh, eh, for AJ Klein. But you can't really get out of him right now. So you're yeah. gonna have to use him as your depth piece for backing up both Edmonds and milano with dodson in 2021 and then maybe you can get out from the contract in 2022
1: i mean that's and it's not bad i mean at, for that it's the 6.4 that scares you it's not it's that's not bad i mean that's what they want to use them for they both add something to special teams so obviously so does medicavich so they're, they're they're really good at that position now after the milano resigning and they're hoping that Klein can come play similar to some of those good games that he had um, and not be forced to play with Dodson or, or others then after Edmonds <laughs> and Milano are missing. Um, so if he has one or the other, maybe you get more out of AJ Klein. So, I mean, I think that's a philosophy he's depth piece. I mean, it's kind of similar to the Trent Murphy. Why didn't they cut him last year? I don't know. They did not expect the cap to dip. I'll tell you that right now because he wouldn't right. have been on the roster. Um, but they thought that that was a veteran move that they could have had in, in a pinch. And they did like what he presented, um, you know, I think AJ Klein's very similar in that mold to where you know they're hoping in a pinch they can use them and have that depth and not be totally ridiculed at the linebacker spot. I do believe that that means that there's not going to be anything done at the linebacker spot anymore uh, in 2021. Um, if they, like we said, it's probably going to be on the D line, one tech, defensive end, cornerback. Two, those are the most needs, uh, the most glaring needs, maybe even on the roster. Um, depending on what you want to do at tight end, but Bruce. Speaking of which, kind of the last position we talked, John. Before we touch on that great dish that we saw on mm-hmm. Twitter, um, tight end. Are you doing anything there? Are you saying eh, Dawson Knox is what he is? What, what's 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 the move there as we're approaching Monday night? And Bean loves to play around right
2: now. Are you doing something like trading for Ertz? What's going What's going on in your head with tight end? For me, when it comes to tight end, it's number one. Do you want to invest big resources, right? trade for Ertz. And I'm saying big resources because you're going to have to trade a pick and he's got an $8 million cap hit, right? Mm-hmm. You want to sign Johnny, who of course you can't sign right now because he's, you know, but Everett, you know, there are other people at, on the market who have, are going to be, you know, double digit or close to yeah. AAV tight ends, or do you not? It's one or two things. Do you want to invest big resources or not? And I don't want to invest big resources in it for two reasons. Number one, if you do want to invest significant resources in the in the position, then you're telling me one of two things. First thing is that you're done with Boston Knox as a starter. You're done with him. Or you're not done with him as a starter, and you want to run a lot more 12 personnel because you need to to justify the having Dawson Knox and also having this other high-priced tight end. There's only two options. Either you want this guy to supplant Knox's snaps, or you want to add more 12 and 13 personnel snaps to justify the cost. Neither one of those things am I on board with. Number one, I'm not saying Dawson Knox is good. I'm not saying he's a great tight end. I'm saying the statistically significant sample size for Dawson Knox isn't strong enough. We gave Josh Allen three years to show us extension-worthy play, but we have a converted quarterback who ran two routes at Ole Miss, didn't catch a touchdown pass, and was off the shoulder of the tackle, basically in the backfield as a blocker, a move blocker, for the vast majority of his Ole Miss career. <laughs> and we're not going to give him three years? With $1 so, million dollar in the cap, too. Yeah, exactly, for $1 million in on the cap. Cheap as heck. So Dawson Knox, you drafted Dawson Knox entirely due to his traits, which is the same reason you drafted Josh Allen, because you didn't look at the film at Wyoming and go, yes. Yes, that, please (laughs) sign me up for all of this. In the same way that you didn't look for at Dawson Knox's film from Ole Miss and go, oh, absolutely. Gosh, if I could just get this from Dawson Knox, that would be legendary. Please give me this. No, you got a ball of traits who you thought had a crazy high ceiling and said, we can coach him up. Well, if that's the case, you got to give him time. And so I'm not in favor of supplanting Dawson Knox as a starter. The other option is, well, you want to run a lot more 12 and 13 personnel because you need to justify the investment that you just made of $8 million in Gerald Gerald Everett, for example. Well, I don't want to do that either because Josh Allen has proven himself very comfortable in 11 and 10 personnel looks. And that's what this offense had success with. This was the best offense in the history of the Buffalo Bills <laughs> last season. So Why not run it back then? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. why do you want to you want to fundamentally alter it and go to a 12 personnel focused offense when you just had the best offense ever? So I'm not in favor of either of those moves. And because of that, I'm not in favor of a significant investment. Now, if you want to make a lower level investment in the tight end position, sure, by all means. You want to run it back with a couple million dollars with with, with Croft, fine. If you want to bring in Dan Arnold for three to five million dollars a year, that's fine too. But mm-hmm. I don't want mega assets in that position. Okay. And
1: they've they've already have precedent to kind of try to hit something with someone like Tyler Croft. So will that be the way that they they go and try to find that four to five million dollar tight end? Probably likely at this stage. Kyle Rudolph's a name to look out for. So we'll we'll see what what they do at the tight end position. It's going to be an interesting one because it is one of the, the the main positions he said he needed more production out of, and that's Brandon Bean. And he said he needed more production out of wide receiver and went out and traded for Diggs the same night one year ago. Um, so. We'll see what that means for the tight end position. He generally, when he wants something, he gets it. So maybe it is more of that he's done with done with Knox because I don't think they're fundamentally changing the offense. So we'll have to see um, what that means. And I think that that could mean nothing or it could mean – a major asset in the tight end position. I'm, or they have precedent in the in, in the middle in going with the three to five million dollar Dan Arnold, Tyler Croft route. Um, so I, it's it's an interesting group to me, and I do not think they're going to do nothing at it personally. So we'll have to see if it's draft pick, which I don't believe, or if it's a major asset, which I'm trending toward, or if it's the Dan the Arnold a Dan Arnold asset. So we're going to have to monitor that closely as day one of legal tampering window approaches us. Um, but we have to ask you about that dish. I mean, it's time. <laughs> oh my God, please. I'll, I'll pass the buck over um, for the question over to, to Wake to get into, but uh, we got to ask.
0: I, okay, so I've been waiting to say it. Just paint us a word picture. You're a fantastic storyteller, big fan of the podcast. Once again, thank you for coming on, making the time. I know you've been on a, like a, a whole week string of appearances of on all these shows. So, you know, you're a busy man. Thank you. You deserve to relax. You deserve to kick your feet back and have some peanut butter lasagna. What was that? And you said homemade whipped cream just pat the floor to you. What was that experience like for you?
2: Imagine with me, if you will, a base of wonderful peanut butter, nutter butter cookies that have been softened just enough to be able to be broken by the fork, but still yet maintained their consistency as to not crumble all over because there's nothing worse than crumble cookies as we know. So if you take that and you build upon it with a powdered sugar and cream fee- cream cheese kind of confectioners layer in the middle, followed by homemade chocolate pudding and topped with more cookies and then connected with drizzled peanut butter and layered all together Multiple times like a lasagna, understanding that this, this is heaven in a dish. This casserole dish that you are currently consuming is a message from God himself that he loves you and he wants you to be happy. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what living is all about.
0: Enough said right there.
2: That's Don't like go pillow talk. Him. It's like
0: Man, it, it, if anybody out there is watching the Sabres game right now, I hope to God you tune in. That fellow
1: talk too. This
0: video, <laughs> we'll get we're gonna get this out there. Everybody's gonna go to bed nice and easy tonight. Man, that's did you sleep good after that? I feel like that's one of those things where you just get into a like food Thanksgiving, coma after, right?
2: Oh, absolutely, that's- the food coma is strong. There's no question, and you know the thing is that you know, I, I try to work out as many times a week as I possibly can. You know, I do boxing <laughs> and I, I do the things that I need to do. And when you're done with that, you feel really, really interested in it for like five minutes. And oh, then because yeah. you have a sugar high and then you just kind of come down and then <laughs> you suddenly become a little bit more slovenly and the couch starts feeling a little bit more comfortable. And that's <laughs> when you think to yourself, gosh, you know, summer's coming and people might see me without my shirt on. And so, I should have eaten these things during the bills season instead of now. Peanut butter lasagna is better served for winter. Thanksgiving. And as we get, yeah, Thanksgiving. And as we get into spring and summer, perhaps, perhaps that should be a kind of a more of a winter dish. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I asked if anyone there ships, but you hit me with the FBI logo. So <laughs> uh, hey, you could you have sent what? it from a total burner address in Boca Raton. <laughs> I don't care. I'll take it from any. You can send it to Boca Raton first, and then up to me. That would be totally fine. I'll that's take right, the shipping I'm, time.
2: That's right. I'm, I'm gonna wire it through multiple different bank accounts as far as the I'll money goes it. to hide hide my my pure intentions. I'll ship it the way that you. Whenever you, when you know, when, when you ever get your tracking. You're always shocked when you track your package as to how many different places this frigging thing hits. Right. It's like, oh, it's in yeah. it's in Illyria, Ohio. It's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. What yeah. is, what's what's how many different places does this package have to go? By the time it got <laughs> to you, there wouldn't be anything left, man.
1: Yeah, that's probably true.
2: Yeah, Just like a new, true.
1: I've shipped from Rochester to Rochester, and it's gone through L.A. It's gone. I mean, it's yeah. been wild. Yeah. Like the places these packages can go, especially <laughs> right now. Um, but. I'll get I'll, I'll get that pie from you sometime. So um, mm-hmm. no matter if that has to go through burner Venmo's burner, whatever, um, mm. we'll have to get up, eat a piece of that pie live here on the the Cronus's podcast week.
0: Ooh yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Bruce. This is the end of their line for us this evening. We're going to have to have you on at least one more time in the off season. It's just, I feel like there aren't enough minutes in the day for it. Uh, just why don't you remind our viewers where they can find your work, anything cool you have coming out that you're working on and all that good stuff.
2: First off, guys, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You guys have been unbelievably gracious hosts and uh, I appreciate you thinking enough of me to reach out and, and have me on your show. I'm a big train wreck guy. I love what you guys are doing. I love the partnership with Del Reed and 26 shirts. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, my name is Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. You can find me on Instagram and all the food that has been aforementioned at Bruce exclusive <laughs> there as well. Uh, my podcast, the Bruce exclusive drops every Thursdays and Fridays on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. We are doing lots of different things, quite frankly. A lot of the pods that have been leading up to this moment have been philosophical in nature about mm-hmm. team construction. We did some things about team construction. We did an entire pod on a very common logical fallacy that occurs this time of year, which is the so you think you know more than the team logical <laughs> fallacy, which right. I always thought was really enjoyable. And then Post-free agency, we're going to do a little bit of reactions. Obviously, we're going to talk about free agency reactions, not just around the Bills, but also the division that we had because there have been significant moves. The Patriots just signed Henry Anderson because they need to make sure they keep dirty players <laughs> on their team. So gonna say. there's always an opportunity to make some sort of comment because it's not just affecting the Bills directly, but it's affecting the Bills indirectly twice a year. So we're going to do a lot of that. We've got some fun draft stuff coming up, and you never know. As we get into the offseason, there might be, a, might be a surprise or two on the Bruce Exclusive. So that's where <laughs> you can find me, and I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. We
1: love a surprise or two. And get make sure you go and check out that new bracket we just launched live right before our show. Oh. The new Buffalo bracket just came out. Mm-hmm. So sure yeah,
0: that, yeah. The uh, the integrity committee really had a long, extensive look at it this past weekend. A lot of uh, rumblings about maybe uh, people buying votes last year for for some certain for some certain drive-ins in the area. Uh, you know, it's we had to make some some tough calls. No, ta- taste of buffaloes in there. Other events aren't St. Patrick's Day parade, uh, but Bills home playoff games is the one seed in the Niagara Frontier region. I think that's going to be the one to take it all. Make sure you check that out over on at Spurts. No O in sports. We lost that in the lawsuit. Uh, and make sure you check out. We're going to be uh, live Friday evening as well to recap all the free agent news from the week. But until then, for myself, Bruce Nolan, Mrs. Nolans, Peanut Butter Lasagna, Kevin Misery, and all trainers Sports. thanks for tuning in. See you at the end of the week.